Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. Now that he owns Twitter, Elon Musk has given employees their first ultimatum. Meet his deadline to introduce paid verification on Twitter or pack up and leave. The directive is to change Twitter blue, the company's optional $4.99 a month subscription that unlocks additional features into a more expensive subscription that also verifies users, according to people familiar with the matter and internal correspondence seen by The Verge. Twitter is planning to charge $19.99 for the new Twitter Blue subscription, though that price is subject to change. Employees working on the project were told on Sunday they need to meet a deadline of November 7th to launch the feature or they will be fired. Musk has been clear in the months leading up to his acquisition that he wanted to revamp how Twitter verifies accounts and handles bots. He is also keen on growing subscriptions, to become half of the company's overall revenue. On Sunday, he tweeted, the whole verification process is being revamped right now. I'd pay. I'd pay $20 to be a verified account. I have a podcast, you know, I'd pay that if it gave me free speech and I knew I could say whatever I wanted to and I wouldn't be kicked off the platform. I mean, if that's 20 bucks a month, I'll pay that. Okay. In what is likely to be one of the biggest stories of the week, and this is actually going to comprise the majority of today's episode, DHS is quietly broadening its efforts to curb speech it considers dangerous. An investigation by The Intercept has found that years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents that were obtained via leaks and an ongoing lawsuit, as well as public documents, illustrate an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. The work, much of which remains unknown to the yous and me's of the world, came into clearer view earlier this year when the DHS announced a new Disinformation Governance Board. Do you remember the crazy girl with the TikTok videos? A panel was designed to police misinformation, and this is really important. It clearly distinguishes what these are, right? So misinformation is false information that is spread unintentionally. Disinformation is false information that is spread with intent or intentionally. And malinformation is factual information that is shared, typically out of context, with harmful intent. (laughs) That allegedly threatens U.S. interests. While the board was widely ridiculed, immediately scaled back, and then shut down within a few months, other initiatives are underway at DHS, and they pivot to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the war on terror, has been wound down. It's remarkable, right? You create a government agency for a specific purpose, and when that purpose is no longer there, you don't get rid of the agency, you just shift its objective or priority. Shocker. (laughs) Government grows, but it never shrinks. Okay. 
Behind closed doors and through pressure on private platforms, the U.S. government has used its power to try to shape online discourse. According to meeting minutes and other records appended to a lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, Missouri, yet again, proving that it's the most base state in the union, discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for false or intentionally misleading information. There was a quote, it says, platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. There was a Microsoft executive named Matt Matt Masterson, who is also a former DHS official, and it was in a text to Jen Easterly, which is a a, a DHS director. Is it really surprising? I can't imagine being so on board with government control that you'd question people not wanting to work with them to change public discourse. In a March meeting, Laura Demlo, a, D- a FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. Okay. Demlo, according to notes of the discussion attended by senior executives from Twitter and J.P. Morgan Sh- Chase. So, what? Stress that we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. Why is J.P. Morgan Chase a bank in a meeting about media infrastructure? It's interesting. We don't coordinate with other entities when making content moderation decisions, and we independently evaluate content in line with the Twitter rules. A spokesperson for Twitter said, yeah, maybe now you do. Uh, You certainly were not. (laughs) opposed to that before. There's also a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it be throttled through a special Facebook portal that requires a government or law enforcement email to use. At the time of writing on this article, a content request system at Facebook takedowns login is still alive. DHS and Meta, the parent company of Facebook, did not respond to a request for comment. Shocker. The FBI also declined to comment. Shocker. Of course they did. According to a draft copy of DHS's Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, DHS's capstone report outlining the department's strategy and priorities in the coming years, the department plans to target inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the origins of COVID-19, the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, and the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. So all of the things that the government is doing that's not in the best interest of its citizens? Got it. How disinformation is defined by the government has not been clearly articulated. Of course not. And the inherently subjective nature of what constitutes disinformation provides a broad opening for DHS officials to make politically motivated determinations about what constitutes dangerous speech. DHS justifies these goals, which have expanded far beyond its original purview on foreign threats, to encompass disinformation originating domestically. 
by claiming that terrorist threats can be exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online. But the laudable goal of protecting Americans from danger has often been used to conceal political maneuvering. Hello, enter the Patriot Act. In 2004, for instance, DHS officials faced pressure by the George Bush administration to heighten the national threat level for terrorism in a bid to influence voters prior to the election. According to former DHS Secretary Tom Ridge, U.S. officials have routinely lied about an array of issues, from the causes of its wars in Vietnam and Iraq, to their more recent obfuscation around the role of the National Institute of Health in funding the Wuhan Institute of Urology's coronavirus research. The extent to which the DHS initiatives affect Americans' daily social feeds is unclear still. During the 2020 election, the government flagged numerous posts as suspicious, many of which were then taken down. And a 2021 report by the Election Integrity Partnership at Stanford University found that nearly 4,800 flagged items technology platforms took action on 35% of those, either removing, labeling, or soft-blocking speech, meaning the users were only able to view content after bypassing a warning screen. The research was done in consultation with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, CISA, CISA. Prior to the 2020 election, tech companies including Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon Media met on a monthly basis with the FBI, CISA, and other government representatives. I'm going to name those agencies one more time. Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon met on a monthly basis with those agencies. According to NBC News, the meetings were part of an initiative, which is still ongoing, between the private sector and government to discuss how firms would handle misinformation during the election. The draft copy of the DHS's 2022 Quadrennial Homeland Security Review also confirms that the DHS views the issue of tackling disinformation and misinformation as a growing portion of its core duties. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they view a lot of things part of their core duties. While counterterrorism remains the first and foremost important dis- mission of the department, it notes the agency's work on these missions is evolving and dynamic and must now adapt to terror threats exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online, including by domestic violent extremists. To accomplish this, the draft quadrennial review calls for DHS to leverage advanced data analytics technology and hire and train skilled specialists to better understand how threat actors use online platforms to introduce and spread toxic narratives, toxic narratives, who determines what's toxic, just asking, intended to inspire or incite violence, as well as work with NGOs and other parts of civil society to build resilience to the impacts of false information. So this goes back, you guys remember, I wrote that article on the the issuance of the acting against divi- domestic violence extremism or whatever that's this is this is that action in process now 
The broad definition of threat actors posing risks to vaguely defined critical infrastructure, an area as broad as trust in government, public health, elections, and financial markets, has concerned civil libertarians. Well, no shit. So let's let's go back through that one more time. Threat actors posing risks to vaguely defined critical infrastructure, an area as broad as trust in government. So if you don't trust in government, you are considered to be a threat actor. Public health. If you do not believe in the vaccines or the the NIH or whatever, you are a threat actor. Elections. If you question election integrity, you are a threat actor. Financial markets. You fucking buy Bitcoin, you're a threat actor. This is crazy. No matter your political allegiances, all of us have good reason to be concerned about government efforts to pressure private social media platforms into reaching the government's preferred decisions about what content we can see online. DHS also began to broaden its watch to include a wide array of domestic actors viewed as potential sources of radicalization and upheaval. My name's probably on that list. An FBI official interviewed by The Intercept described how In the summer of 2020, amid the George Floyd protests, he was reassigned from his normal job of countering foreign intelligence services to monitoring American social media accounts. Another FBI official, a joint terrorism task force officer, described being reassigned this year from the Bureau's International Terrorism Division, where they had primarily worked on cases involving al-Qaeda, the Islamic State Group, to then be moved to the Domestic Terrorism Division to investigate Americans, including anti-government individuals such as racially motivated violent extremists, sovereign citizens, militias, and anarchists. They work on an undercover basis online to penetrate social networking chat rooms, online forums, and blogs to detect, enter, dismantle, and disrupt, or you know, coerce them into committing crimes and emerging terrorist organizations via online forums, chat rooms, bulletin boards, blogs, websites, and social networking. Now, the Privacy Act of 1974 enacted following the Watergate scandal restricts government data collection of Americans exercising their First Amendment rights. A safeguard that civil liberty groups have argued limits the ability of DHS and the FBI to engage in surveillance of American political speech expressed on social media. The statute, however, maintains exemptions for information collected for the purposes of a criminal or law enforcement investigation. There are no specific legal constraints on the FBI's use of social media. So, The Attorney General guidelines permit agents to look at social media before there is any investigation at all. So it's kind of wild west out there. The first FBI official that I mentioned lamented the drift toward warrantless monitoring of Americans, saying, man, I don't even know what's legal anymore. Hunter Biden's laptop ahead of the 2020 election provides an elucidating case study of how this works in an increasingly partisan environment. Much of the public ignored the reporting or assumed it was false, as over 50 former intelligence officials charged that the laptop story was a creation of Russian disinformation. The mainstream media was primed by allegations of election interference in 2016, and to be sure, 
Trump did attempt to use the laptop to disrupt the Biden campaign, but it was real. Twitter ended up banning links to the New York Post report on the contents of the laptop during the weeks leading up to the election. Facebook also throttled the user's ability to view the story. In May, Attorney General Eric Schmidt took the lead in filing a lawsuit to combat what he views as sweeping efforts by the Biden administration to pressure social media companies to moderate certain forms of content appearing on their platforms. The suit alleges government-wide efforts to censor certain stories, especially ones related to the pandemic. It also names multiple agencies across the government that have participated in efforts to monitor speech and open collusion between the administration and social media companies. It identifies, for example, emails between officials from the National Institute of Health, including Dr. Anthony Fauci and Zuckerberg at the beginning of the pandemic, and reveals ongoing discussions between senior Biden administration officials with Meta executives on developing content moderation policies on a range of issues, including issues related to elections and vaccines. Attorneys for the Biden administration have responded in court by claiming that the plaintiffs lack standing and that social media firms pursued content moderation policies on their own volition, without any coercive influence from the government. Right. Because they just specifically target things that make the government look bad. On October 21st, the judge presiding over the case granted the attorney general's permission to depose Fauci, CIS officials, and communication specialists from the White House. If China or North Korea or Russia or Iran or any other oppressive government was found to have been colluding with social media in such a way to control narratives, we would call that censorship and say that it violates civil liberties and freedom. But when the U.S. government is doing it, we say it's protecting national security. It's bullshit, and I can't wait to see how these depositions work out in the future. Good on Missouri's attorney general for looking out for the rest of the country. Okay, two more real quick. Shortly after a federal judge ordered the arrest of the founders of a Texas group that spread baseless election conspiracy theories, U.S. Marshals escorted the duo out of a Houston courtroom and into a holding cell. Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips are the founders of True the Vote and the executive producers of a film produced by Donald Trump and other prominent Republicans to advance a fraudulent narrative that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him. On October 31st, U.S. District Judge Kenneth Hoyt ordered their detention for one day and further until they fully comply, with a court order demanding that they reveal the name of a person of interest in a defamation and computer hacking case against them. They have claimed without evidence that the person is a confidential FBI informant. Judge Hoyt is overseeing a defamation case against True the Vote from election software company Conic Incorporated, which has accused the group of promoting baseless claims against the company and its founder, Eugene Yu. True the Vote has accused the Michigan-based company of holding information for nearly 2 million poll workers in the U.S., and that Mr. Yu, a longtime U.S. resident, is a Chinese operative. The company and Mr. Yu have denied those allegations. Meanwhile, the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office 
has charged Mr. Yu with two felonies that appeared to mirror some of the claims raised by True the Vote. The office has downgraded the accusations against the company, which allegedly exposed county workers to possible compromise, according to the district attorney. Mr. Yu has sought to have the charges dismissed. The pair were also central to right-wing filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza's widely debunked film, 2000 Mules, which claimed to have evidence of illegal mail-in and absentee ballots. They both appeared as executive producers alongside Mr. D'Souza in the film's credits. I am not here to say whether that film is accurate or not. That's just what the article says. Okay, a small number of U.S. military forces inside of Ukraine have recently begun doing on-site inspections to ensure that Ukrainian troops are properly accounting for the Western-provided weapons that they receive. The official who spoke on condition of anonymity to provide a military update would not say where the inspections are taking place or how close to the battlefronts the U.S. troops are getting. The official said U.S. personnel cannot do inspections close to the front lines, but said they are going where security conditions allow. The official said there would have to be several inspections, and they're being done by the U.S. Defense Attaché and the U.S. Office of Defense Cooperation Team that is in Kyiv. So far, the official said Ukrainian officials have been transparent about the weapons distribution and are supporting the inspections. U.S. officials have faced persistent questions from some members of Congress over how the administration is accounting for the billions of dollars in arms that have been sent to Ukraine over the past year, but the administration has been reluctant to detail its work on that front due to concerns about the state of the conflict and fears it might tip off would-be smugglers to potential evasion techniques. In other words, we're selling those weapons on the black market and pocketing the cash, but we just don't want you to find out about it. Fuck. Okay. Anyway, that is Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I hope you guys have a great day, and I will see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.